Welcome to my podcast, The Cross in the Desert. I'm your host, Randy L. Noble, and I want to say once again, thank you for taking time out of your busy life to join me today on my podcast. I'm concluding the very rich, in-depth study of the Ten Commandments that I began about 11 weeks ago. I hope you've enjoyed this very educational journey. I know I have. It's been life transforming for me. I've taught on this before about four years ago and I knew I had to teach on it again. As we look at society all around us, we see how it's unraveled, how we have lost our way. We are a people of relativism. We have disregarded absolute truth and we live by our own dictates. We do what's right in our own eyes. We have no standard of righteousness. And you see, the Ten Commandments provide that anchor, that anchor for our ship that's drifting, that puts us on a solid foundation for having truth and morality in our culture. And for the last nine weeks, we have looked at those specific commands that deal with our relationship with God, the first four. And the last six we have looked at today, we're going to finish up, our relationship with our neighbor. How we live, how we live in a society that is governed by the absolute holy law of God. Today we're going to look at a deadly foe. That's right. It's the 10th commandment. It's the commandment the Apostle Paul talked about in the book of Romans. That one commandment, he thought he had mastered them all. But when he noticed that the 10th commandment, the 10th one, said, You shall not covet. It was the death nail. Paul understood that no one keeps God's law perfectly, and he knew that. Coveting is that deadly foe. And we need to understand this 10th commandment. What does covet mean? Two different Hebrew words are the words used in the passages of Exodus 20:17, Deuteronomy chapter 5, 21. It means to lust after or to long for with great desire. Lust. Yep. You remember the commandments? They are the you shall not. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Well, in this case, it's something that is not the property of the one desiring it. And that's what the problem is. We lust after which what does not belong to us. The Israelites are told in the original giving of the Ten Commandments not to lust after their neighbor's possessions, that is, his house, land, ox, donkey, or even the people in his house, his wife, his servants, male and female. The Israelites were not to desire, that is, long for, or set their hearts on anything that belonged to anyone else. Now, These are the thou shall nots, as I said. These commandments prohibit certain actions from us. Don't murder. Don't steal. But this commandment, thou shall not covet, it addresses the heart of the law. It addresses the inner person, 
our heart and mind. James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us that our heart, the inner person, is where sin originates. And in this case, covetousness is the forerunner of all manner of sin, which it means theft, burglary, embezzlement. At its root, coveting is the result of envy. That's where it starts. A sin which, when it takes root in our heart, it leads to just worse sins. Jesus said that in our heart, if we have lust after another woman, it's the same as committing adultery. So envy goes beyond just casting a longing glance at your neighbor's new car. It is that deadly foe that takes root of your heart, that turns your feelings of resentment and hatred to your neighbor himself. You can look at that neighbor's car and his possessions and say, why can't I have what he has, Lord? Don't you love me enough to give me what I want? So it's this longing, it's this desire, this lust that birds birds in our hearts. And God gives us specific reasons why we shouldn't covet. It's because he loves us. He knows what covetousness does to our life, to our heart, and to the lives of others. It's really envy. And really, coveting is the love of self. You know, if you have a society that's built on envious, selfish citizens that are unhappy and discontented, that society is going to crumble. The New Testament identifies covetousness as a form of idolatry. It's a sin which God hates, Colossians 3, 5. So in the end, envy, covetousness are Satan's tools to distract us from pursuing the really only one thing that's going to make us happy and content, and that's God himself. God's word tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, that godliness with contentment is great gain. And that we need to be content with the basics of life. Because in the end, true happiness is not attained by things, but by a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By that alone, do we gain that which is worthy, true solid, satisfying, and durable. It's the unsearchable riches of God's grace. Now, let's take a little bit more deeper look at this sin of coveting. Remember, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he encountered a man, the rich young ruler, and he was trying to expose this man for a sin of self-righteousness or covetousness. And he said, well, you know the commandments, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And what did the rich young ruler say? Well, all of these I have kept from my youth up. You know, he really believed he was perfect in many ways. However, uh, Jesus is trying to expose him and and show him his own self-righteousness. No one has never coveted and this man was rich in possessions when you look at the you shall not covet prohibition it stands out from all the commandments it's the very heart of the law of god it's laid open to us 
Um, he doesn't just concern again with our actions alone. You shall not covet gets to our thoughts, our feelings, our inclinations. It's the matter of the heart. And that means a lot to God. You know, how does this happen? Well, when does coveting kind of take hold of us? Well, when we hear of a co-worker's promotion, we see a new car in the driveway next door, we reflect upon the perfect, seemingly perfect family at church. That's when the enemy raises its evil head. And you know what? You don't have to look for coveting. It's there. It comes quite naturally. It grips the heart. It turns the affections. It occupies our minds. It unravels our life. So where there is peace, coveting brings hostility. Where there is love, it stirs up division. And where there is contentment, it breeds complaint. Why is coveting so deadly? Because we are never satisfied. The covetous person is never content. He craves more of the world and takes his mind off of heaven. He forsakes his love for God. He creates an idol and it causes him to hate his neighbor. And that's why it's so dangerous. So you say, well, wait a minute, Randy. What do I do to put this under control? Good question. How do you combat this sin? Well, first, we don't do it in our own strength. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me give you some practical suggestions that help me, that help you. Look to Christ alone in the things above. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The more you and I value Christ, the less we long for the things of this world. Honor, wealth, material possessions, reputation, worldly success, even health. In this pandemic, what's been our biggest preoccupation, our health? Understandably so. But when that becomes more valuable than Christ, that's when coveting takes over. And we need to pursue Christ. And he is the glory of God in human flesh. And as we seek him, we find earthly treasures, hold fleeting pleasures. But his promises are secure. Why? They offer comfort. Seeking after Christ never will disappoint you. His beauty, his loveliness, his comfort, his peace, and his joy surpass anything this world can offer. He is the treasure. He should be the treasure of our heart. Now, the second way we combat this is to really be content. Contentment is not something we chase after, but something we rest in. The Apostle Paul taught us in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. He said to Timothy, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He knew, that is, Paul knew that God's providence would provide for his every need. We need to recognize that too. Uh, we should be content. If a Christian rightly seeks to maintain this mindset, there will be great joy with contentment. Contentment is one of those rare jewels once found and treasured. It fills the soul with delight. Pursue Christ. Rest in God's contentment, his providence to provide all your needs. 
and rejoice. Be thankful. Thankfulness steers the Christian life away from the dangerous shoals of discontentment. And that when we're struggling with anxiety, what does Paul say in Philippians 4, 6? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We want to thank God for everything we've received and everything he's given us. But rejoice, be thankful, be content, pursue Christ. If we look to Christ, live in contentment and rejoice in thanksgiving, it's going to do a lot to sending covetousness to the grave. It is a deadly foal we can't play games with. Let's love God and one another and keep our treasures in heaven and not on this earth. I hope this study has been life transforming for you. I want to end by saying this, as I've said in every broadcast, the purpose of God's holy law is to show us our depravity, is to expose our sinfulness, to expose our inability to fully keep God's law. It's to point us to a need for a Savior who perfectly kept God's law, that is Jesus, who won for us on the cross in his death and resurrection a perfect gift of righteousness that is obtained through faith. And that perfect gift of righteousness we'd never earned. Jesus gives us that. We can stand before a holy God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our own righteousness. So we see the purpose of God's law in that it points us to a Savior, but for us who are Christians, it's that compass that guides our lives, our everyday life. So I really hope that this study has been a benefit to you. God's law is holy. It's our only hope for a just society again. When we look at the corruption all around us, we got to remember this, though. There's corruption within us, and God's law shows us that. And God's law is holy. God's law is good. So I thank you for spending these last 10 weeks studying this. Share it with your friends. Study it. Let it become a daily part of your Bible study. God bless you. Thank you for joining me on this rich study. I will see you next time on the cross in the desert. God bless you.